This is the last Sunday before Christmas for those of you that don't have a calendar. And it's the last in our series on the parables and Advent. Again, the parables tell what changed when Jesus came. He speaks of the new world, the new reality. And today, our selection may surprise you because here we are, we're rushing right up on Christmas. And this isn't going to be one of those Bethlehem singing angels, oh, holy night parables. This is going to seem, in fact, rather contrarian to bring this one out, but we really need to. It's a hard one. It's a tough one. I'll be aware that there, there are, are wee ears in the room, so we'll, we'll keep it at a good level. But this is a hard one. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. That's a very important phrase. You'll find out later. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Then what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers, the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he'd spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now why somebody hasn't turned that into a carol yet is beyond me. That's a really, when I was a boy, this really bothered me for several, several things about this. First of all, what idiot thinks, well, we'll inherit if we just keep killing people. Second, what dad goes, well, they killed everybody else, son, you're up. <laughs> well, it's a different world, and we need to talk about this. There are theologians out there that claim Jesus came to establish his earthly kingdom, but he was surprised, he was shocked at the reaction against him and how fierce the religious people were to push back on him. So he's delayed the kingdom. Now, again, this is what these theologians say. They're wrong, by the way. They'll say he delayed the kingdom, and he established the church as a stopgap measure. So we have the church now until he can come back on a horse, and they do the big battle of um, Armageddon, or some people call it Armageddon, and, and, they, and then it'll sort it out then, and then he'll have his kingdom. No, no, no. Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew exactly what he had to do, and that's why he told this parable. He's letting them know, I know exactly how this works. In fact, the Old Testament's full of prophecy that the Messiah would come, be rejected, he would die, 
and then he would be raised, reigning forever. That's all through the Old Testament. It wasn't a secret. The shadow of a cross fell over the manger. I, I, love, I love Christmas. I'm all about it. Very pro-Christmas. I didn't have it growing up, so I'm, I'm catching up. So I am. And my wife sometimes makes the strategic error of leaving me unsupervised, and so I'll overbuy for the grands every year so far. It's just, it's amazing. She'll catch on one of these days. Oh, she's here. Never mind. Um, but one of the mistakes we can make at this time, and there, there are several. I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to be a downer. One of the mistakes we can do is to focus on the baby without understanding who the baby was. And that the baby would, as he grew, come to know who he was what he was going to do, and what would be done to him. He got it. The shadow of the cross belongs in the manger. And yet, resurrection comes. And as I said at the table, that's why the early church chose this time of year to celebrate the birth of Christ. You'll always get those people who say, oh no, it was Saturnalia and the Romans had a festival. Yeah, it's kind of hard to pick a date when pagans didn't have a festival. They were pretty much festival people. Uh, and, and if this group didn't, that group did. So you could always move and go to that one for a festival. Correlation is not causation, Mr. Science. You're helping you a bet. So yeah, it happened in the same time of year. It's not the same thing. And others would say, but the people in the north, they'd burn a log and they'd all this other, you know, the Yule log. And yeah, got it. But every time the church moved, it adopted and said, now let's turn this over to Jesus. Let's turn this over to Jesus. So we celebrate him all through the year, but we do a special time to think of his birth at this time of year because the darkness is about to be rolled back. So, the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We love that story. He didn't require our help. He didn't ask for our input on any of the decisions he made about where to locate the earth, how to make the earth, the way the cosmos was going to be spread out, what animals would be there and what animals... Would, he did not ask us because he made it for his purpose. And we're a part of the purpose, but we're not the purpose. Not entirely. Think of this. Just remember this. God loves you dearly. Don't, I'm not demeaning that at all or lessening that. But we are a part of the story. We are not the point of the story. We're a part of it. The story points back to Jesus. The story points back to the creator. So God started small individuals in a garden. Next time, family in Ur of the counties. Next time, nation called out of Egypt. Next time, whosoever will. He builds the story and adds his people. And then when he says, whosoever will, he looks at us and says, we will conquer. With love, not swords. We will conquer. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Now when I was a boy, the preachers would go on quite a bit about this, saying, we're going to win, and hell can't beat us. And they'd use this, this passage. Later on, I'd look at it, and I'm going, wait a minute. Gates are not an offensive weapon. You never see people running around with gates beating up another army. God's saying, 
hell will not be able to stand against us. We're going to break it down. We're going to, we're going to get rid of it. I've had people all my life that are so terrified of going to hell. And I look at them and say, we're not going to let you go. We're, the Christians are going to do this. We're going to take care of this. Jesus said so. God owns the universe. Now, this is very important. Remember the vineyard story? We've not forgotten the vineyard story. God owns the universe. And he requires of us something very, very specific. That we be sharecroppers and do what he wants us to do with his territory. To bear fruit, to grow fruit, to have the fruit of the Spirit, and that we recognize him as owner. So that when he comes and says, are you bearing fruit? We can say, yes, we are, and here is what is yours. If you don't know, that's the way a lot of farmers still go. They will share. Somebody will, will donate the land, but this guy will put the cattle on. And they have this sharing of things. God's entered into an agreement with us in the universe. This is all his vineyard. And then he tells us what we are to grow in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit to the Spirit is, Christians, this is what should be our uniform. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's who we are, that's who we're, we are to be. I remember talking to one of my elders up in Michigan, and they were trading war stories because several of the elders had been to Vietnam. And this one as well, but he was more quiet than the others. And Jerry finally looked at me and he goes, they know my story. And I said, so what's your story? And he said, I was a journalist. I, uh, I stayed well away from the battle. He, I typed on a Remington typewriter. We called ourselves the Remington Rangers. He said, we our motto was, we will backspace, but we will never retreat. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. But he said that to, to open up a thing about where he didn't have medals for typing. Well, they give those medals for specific actions, don't they? That you were in a particular theater of war, that you experienced certain things, that you had certain qualifications. And God says, here are yours. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. This is who you are. This is what I want to see when I come. Here's the kicker. You ready? To live a life that bears this fruit is our job. It is giving our lives back to God. We sow kindness, love, grace, mercy. All of this as Underline this in your head. A sign that God is the owner of the universe, not us. And we do not get to decide if we're going to love this or that person. He's made the decision we are going to love that person. It is not our vineyard. It is his vineyard. Can we get that in our wee minds? It takes a while. And then once it's here, oh my goodness, it takes a long time to go from here to here. Does it not? If you're just listening to a recording of this, well, it's from here to here. There's got to be a penalty for not showing up, don't you think? Uh, so that's a long, that's a, big, that's a big journey. So what is the story? Oh my goodness, Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Well, all right, 
they're not sharecropping appropriately. They're not doing what God told them to do. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. By the way, most absolute words in any one verse of Scripture, you can, you can check if you want. Start in the book of uh, contents, go all the way to the book of maps, you will not find another verse like this. Some of you have the book of concordance, but you're liberals. Um, <clears throat> it's humor, people. If you don't get humor, we will help you. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Don't break God's heart. Oh my goodness. Don't break his heart. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. By the way, how did he find favors? We're not really sure. He didn't seem to be much of a spiritual giant. And he was also a very lousy carpenter. It took him 100 years to build a box. <clears throat> I've had people say, no, no, it took that long because he was gathering the animals. No, no, read it. He didn't gather animals. God sent them. I got the feeling as he's struggling to build a box. God's just watching this. About year 80, he says, we're going to need to get the animals. Um, He's plainly not qualified. So they brought in the animals. That pattern would be for millennia. God providing, we rebel. God provides, we rebel. There would be an emissary sent, a, a prophet, a priest, a king, a teacher, a judge, to help correct the behavior of God's people and what God's people do. Uh, eventually, they'd rise up and kill the guy or drive him off or beat him. Ask Jeremiah how his day went. It was rough. The wicked would rise against the ambassador of God, throw him in a pit, saw them in half. We could go on. And God would send another. And then another. Do you get the point now of why we're doing this at Advent? Finally, he would send his son. Here's where you really need to take a trip with me. To a different world. It's a world about class. Now, America was supposedly founded upon the concept that all men are created equal. We, we all know there were inequities built in early and that women didn't go to vote till later, that African Americans were marginalized, the, the uh, Native Americans were marginalized at best. We all know that. But it is still closer to a classless society than you find in most places. There are, there's a politician class that doesn't have to obey the same laws we do. There's a Hollywood class. There's a media class. The sports star class. We, we get that. But for most of us, we can at least act like, well, there's, there's law and we're equal under the law. And Again, you can pick at that, but believe it or not, it's a whole lot better here in most places. And in society, in most places even today, class barriers are solid. It is very real. Even criminals know this. They know they can rob each other, and they can rob this house or that house, but if they rob the house of a, a policeman, almost said policeman, right? Go to trade to be American. Um, a policeman, that they're going to be in more trouble. Why? They've broken a wall. They've gone against a class. It even gets worse. If they do something against a federal agent, 
you, we even have an expression, you're making a federal case out of it. Why is that? Because that's special. <laughs> you, you've now graduated to a whole new class of people coming after you. So criminals tend to feed on their own. They know what happens if they don't. In our society, there are class structures that break my heart. There's no pretty way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. If there's a pretty blonde woman who's murdered or a pretty young woman, a white woman who is missing, you'll see that, that picture on the news. They'll do, it's day eight, it's day nine. But if there is a, a woman of color, most likely it's not going to be mentioned. If there's an ugly guy, not going to be mentioned. We all have that little star status. There's a class thing there. So we know in our heads there are classes. Get that in your head for just a bit. So what happens now when the owner sends his son in the ancient world and in most places in the world today, you know that's a line you do not cross. You can go after the ambassadors, you can go after the emissaries, you can go after the low-lying fruit, but when the, the king comes and, the, and his son, that's a class you cannot touch. So it wasn't being foolhardy for God to send his son. It's what you did. In that world, it was entirely reasonable to think that these horrible, wicked tenants would not harm the son. In fact, when Jesus told this parable, and he got to the point where, so the king said, I will send my son, people would have turned to each other and gone, yeah, that'll sort this. They're not like us. We read it and we go, what? That's why that phrase is in there, for he loved him. Because <laughs> it wasn't like, well, I didn't like him much anyway. Go. No, he loves him. Their status here, they knew if they killed them, their lives are forfeit. So these people, with reasoning that borders on the insane, say, ooh, if we kill him, we'll get in the will. That is insane. But we, as a human species, act insane. We do. We know drinking and driving is wrong, but we still have bars with parking lots, and we still sell cold alcohol on the roadside shops. We know doing this, you know, doing meth, nobody's ever going, you know, my life was a mess until I started meth. Cleared things up, got my degree. No, we all know how this is going to happen, where this is going to go, and people do it anyway. We know and we yet, we cross the lines. Let's not act like these people are the only insane people in this story. They wanted, and here's the catchphrase, all of the blessings, but none of the rules. It's not the way that works. When all the blessings, none of the rules. G. Gordon Liddy, before he retired from public life, was asked by an interviewer if he believed in God, and he said, yeah, he does. He says, well, do you consider yourself a Christian? And he said, well, I, God and I, we have an agreement. I'm going, oh, really? I'm not really sure you're up for that. I don't believe you're allowed to do that. God tells us what is, and we either accept what is or we don't. He's not going to do a private deal with you to say, oh, you reject my son? That's all right then. Mm. They kill the son. So the owner comes down on them with his fighting men and wipes them out. 
They should have seen that coming because that's what happened in the ancient world when you messed with the wrong family. After all the prophets, after all of the emissaries of God were mistreated, driven out, killed, or just ignored, God sent his son. Will you dare to stand against him? After the death of Jesus, the rules changed. And that's what Jesus is warning them about here. There's not going to be another, there's not going to be another emissary. I've talked to people that were really into the new age. Do you remember that? It was a big deal back in the 90s until they figured out it wasn't going anywhere. New age is kind of old. But you can still find new age books and they will say there are many messiahs or imams or the like that, you know, God will show an, another adept, another highly evolved soul among us and They'll say Buddha was one and Jesus is one. And they'll just keep showing up. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up in a big and powerful way. The people gather and they says, what does this mean? And Peter stands up and says, what this means is, this is your last one. You come through Jesus or you don't come at all. That's it. There is no other one coming. Jesus told the parable and then said, I'm taking the old system away. The temple will be dismantled, not one stone upon another. The Jews will be spread around the world, not because Jews are worse than us, but just because without the temple they scattered. He says, I will hand this now to another people. And I want to be very, very, very firm and plain about this. This is not taking it from Jews and giving it to other people. Jewish people are still beloved of God and we should still love them as we love all peoples. He is handing the vineyard to anybody. <coughs> Sorry. Can't turn away from a mic when I strap it to you. And it's also, it shocks me if I go over 30 minutes. But don't get excited. I've come to enjoy the shock. Um, <laughs> saves boatloads of money on the old peacemaker, if you get my draft there. He's handing the vineyard over to anybody who will raise the fruit of the Spirit and hand it back to God. Doesn't matter what your lineage is, your DNA is. Do you bow to God and accept it's His vineyard? We will labor honorably within this. Matthew puts this little take in his, his version of the parable in Matthew 21. Therefore... When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? You, the crowd would have been going, oh, yeah, yeah. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. You don't see the word wretched very much. We need to bring it back. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. That's the point. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Luke records the final sermon of Stephen, the first known Christian martyr. Look how he ended his sermon before they killed him. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And he doesn't mean all the Jews. He's talking about the religious leaders that were blocking the people from seeing Jesus. And will be given to people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. If, whew, 
That's rather scary. And so the religious people responded by killing him. Just like the parables. You see, we have a pattern of lawlessness. God knows the pattern. He gave us his son and salvation anyway. And that tells you all you need to know about God. The love of God, we have no words. <coughs> Try to define it. We have no words. It's too big. It's too vast. Even knowing that we are people of sin. He gave his son. Somebody was asking this week, what, um, and, and what they were doing is just trying to get more people to respond to their Twitter feed. People do that. And they said, you know, what one thing do you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? I'm thinking, one? I got a lot. Like those people that say, if I could live my life to do over, I wouldn't change anything. Whoa. Talk about a slow learner. My goodness. But one thing I would do, and I want to talk to our teens here and our younger folk, I would, I would have liked to have known that it was always going to be a struggle. Then I wouldn't have been as surprised to be an old guy who's still struggling. Now, I might not sin as much as you do, but that's only because I don't have the energy <laughs> or the opportunity. My heart needs a Savior as much today as it did when I was 13. My heart will need a Savior when I take my last breath. God knew that about us and sent Jesus anyway. Why would you not run to this God? He loves you that much. And we're given a window of opportunity here. We're given a portion of time to walk the earth and to gather or bear fruit for the King each day, at least most days, we're given chances to bear fruit pleasing to God. How many reminders do we need? How many times is it all right to ignore those sent from God to remind us that the fruit of the field belongs to Him? Hebrews chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to do a couple of verses, passages here. Mark, but you want to, might want to bring your team up anyway. Rearrange things. Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, here we go, underline this bet, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What salvation? The one that began like this in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Would you stand, please? <clears throat> his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home with as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And you know the rest. So let us endeavor to be faithful students, uh, stewards of the master's vineyard. Let us be the ones who welcome the holy into our lives. Welcome Advent. Live Advent. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be in you, shine through you this day and every day as we work in the vineyard of the King, the high God of heaven. And the whole church says,